John's Gospel, chapter 8. John, chapter 8. We're going to begin looking at verse 48, if you're with us today. First time in a while, we're starting a new series of messages on Jesus, I am sayings. While you turn there to John, chapter 8, and verse 48, if you've been here a while, you know I had sort of an inauspicious uh, beginning uh, to my life. Um, I did not have a name when I was born um, for, a, for actually somewhere between 24 hours and 48 hours after I was born. I was a nameless child. I was, I love my parents, but I'm thinking, now come on, you had nine months to figure this thing out. I still believe that uh, they thought they were going to have a girl. I have an older brother, and uh, I must have surprised them, but... Uh, I wasn't also, I was not the most attractive baby. I hope I've gotten a little better. Uh, I had, I was born with reddish skin. My mom always defended and said that meant you were going to tan more easily when you got older. Um, but I also had matted black hair. I was born with a lot of hair. And uh, I visited my uh, great-grandmother Harwood shortly after I was born she was suffering from dementia and my mom proudly brought me in and my great-grandmother said nothing that ugly is kin to me <laughs> she didn't have a filter she didn't have a filter because she had dementia my mom cried but because I was born she went in the other room and cried actually but uh because I was born with a lot of hair and I didn't have a name, I was born in the mid-1960s, you know what that meant. I was going to have a special moniker until I had my permanent name. I was called Baby Beetle because the Beatles at that time had long hair and were very popular. But I eventually received my name, thank the Lord. Um, William Roderick, oh, I'm proud of my name. I don't know anyone else with that name. And Roderick is R-O-D-R-I-C-K. There's no E between the D and the R. And, and so I'm very happy and proud of my name. But today, we're going to begin a series of messages looking at the names of Jesus, specifically the I Am sayings. As Jesus describes himself, we're going to look at a number of these. They're going to be uh, eight weeks of this study. Today we're going to look at the original uh, name that Jesus gives himself, I Am. But then for the next seven weeks, we're going to look at various aspects of who he is. For instance, he says, I am the bread of life. I am the vine. I am the resurrection and the life. And so each of these uh, seven titles that we'll look at in the next seven weeks will relate to us a little bit about who Jesus is. But looking today at John chapter 8 and verse 48, it says, The Jews responded to Jesus, Aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and you have a demon? I do not have a demon, Jesus answered. On the contrary, I honor my father and you dishonor me. I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and judges 
Truly, I tell you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Then the Jews said, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets died? Who do you claim to be? If I glorify myself, Jesus answered, my glory is nothing. My father, about whom you say he is our God, he is the one who glorifies me. You do not know him, but I know him. If I were to say I don't know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. The Jews replied, you aren't 50 years old yet. And you've seen to Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. And so they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus was hidden and went out of the temple. Let's pray. Fathers, we look to your word today. Jesus Christ is the great I am. He is the resurrection and the life. Lord Jesus, you are truth. Lord Jesus, you are life. And so as we study about you, I pray, Lord, uh, that as the song that we uh, just sang, that you would be lifted up. And as a result of that, that you would draw all people, including us, to yourself. Lord, you are a name and more than a name. Help us, Lord, to just gain a greater understanding of you in these weeks ahead. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as I said, uh, we're beginning this series of messages, and we're really going to springboard from one verse in our text today where Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. Uh, John chapter 8 and verse 58. And so if, if we were to uh, bring Jesus before us, if he were physically here, and we were to say, Who are you, Jesus? We know, in effect, at least in great part, he would define himself as I am. Now, over the next seven weeks, as we see, he's going to begin by saying, I am, but he's going to follow that with these various descriptions, whether it be the vine or the good shepherd or the gate or door. And, and we'll begin to know more about Jesus as uh, we study these seven weeks. I think the best way maybe to depict it would be if I were to introduce myself to you, I would say, I am William Roderick Caldwell. But then I might qualify that and say, I'm Will, William Roderick Caldwell, comma, the husband of Karen. Or I might say, I'm William Roderick Caldwell, comma, pastor of Concord Baptist Church. I might say, I'm William Roderick Caldwell, comma, lover of potato salad. But in each of these things, I'm going to give you a depiction of who I am. So that's where we're going in the next seven weeks. We're going to be looking at these various descriptions of Jesus. So you say, what is the desire of uh, these eight total weeks of study? The desire is this, that we would come to know Jesus Christ better. The only way we can know him better is through his spirit working through his word. His word defines truth. His word defines who he is. And so, and it's not just that we would know better who he is, but that we might apply it to our hearts, that we would have the head knowledge of who he is, but we would understand who he is both to and for us. Now, the background of our study this morning 
was this. The entire 8th chapter of John was basically a contest, a contest between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day. And these religious leaders were like invading pests in the home. You just couldn't get rid of them. They kept coming. Everywhere he would go, they were challenging him. And so it really comes to the point, and you can go back and read all of chapter 8, and you can see this jargoning that's going on between uh, the Lord and these people who were uh, contesting him. But it comes to the point in verse 48, where his his antagonists issue a very serious charge against Jesus. And basically, if we could summarize it, it would be this. You are a demon-possessed outsider. You don't belong. You're not of God. You're not a real Jew. And and more than that, you're demon-possessed. We see in verse 49, Jesus immediately addresses that falsehood. He says, I do not have a demon. On the contrary, I honor my Father. We recently competed, or completed rather, a study in First Timothy. And one thing that hopefully you got out of the study, I know I did, is how important it is to stand against falsehood, to stand against wrong teaching. And I want you to see the example that Jesus sets here. He didn't just say, oh, well, you think what you want to think, or Father, you and I, we know the truth. And no, he directly confronted false teaching. And he says, I am, I am truly who I say I am, and I do not have uh, a demon. That's why this eight-week study is so important, and it's this. So many people speak falsely today. There's so many untruths in our world today. In the spiritual realm and in the religious realm, there will people who will stand and seem authoritative, yet they're wrong. We need to measure what they say by the Word of God. And, and through my study of false teachings and groups that, that have false doctrine, I, I've come uh, to the point of being convinced that every false teaching has as part of its core a distortion of who Jesus is, that they misrepresent Jesus. They'll say, well, he was only a man, or he was just an emanation from God, or he was a soul brother of Satan who happened to go in the right way and Satan went in the wrong way. Uh, They'll bring Christ down and elevate men up. That's why this study is so important, that we understand what Jesus says about himself. And the first thing we see this morning in this discussion is that Jesus has power over death. Death is a sorrowful thing. Um, yesterday morning when I found out about Wayne, I'm not on social media, it was just a cloud over me because this, this is a dear brother. This is someone that is shoulder to shoulder labored with children, much like Chris is doing now. and and others that are working with our children who, you know, mission trips, things like that, uh, labored hard here for a number of years until retirement took him somewhere else. But yet we hear Teresa saying, I know that my Redeemer lives. That lifts our spirit to know that he lives. And here we see that he has overcome death. He tells us in his word, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Now, that's a bold statement there. 
Now, we all know that we're going to physically die, but on the authority of God's word, physical death is not the final word, and Jesus proved it by doing what? Being raised from the dead, raised up bodily, a spiritual resurrection. And so as we look at it there, we see that Jesus was physically and spiritually alive after his death, and he would never see death, and he says those who identify him also will not see death. You know, sometimes people can say things that strike a nerve, don't they? I was laughing. Someone came to me this week, and he was asking for a favor, and I helped him. And before he left, he said, boy, you've put on a little weight here lately, hadn't you? And I thought, well, you, you should have told me that before you asked for the favor. I might not have done it. But he was wise enough to wait until the favor was accomplished, and then he brought that out. But sometimes we say people, things to people that offend people, don't we? When I was growing up in school, and maybe you were the same, you never talked about somebody's mother. You never talked about somebody's mother. You might talk bad about a sister. You might talk bad about a father or a brother, maybe even a girlfriend. But, but talking about somebody's mama was off limits. Here, Jesus was saying something that struck a nerve. It was a righteous statement, but we're talking about unrighteous religious leaders who were actually self-righteous but not possessing true righteousness. And what he said stirred them up like a hornet's nest would be stirred up. These religious leaders said basically in verse 53, do you think? that you're better than Abraham and the prophets? Do you really think that? Who do you think you are? Well, at this point, uh, Abraham is introduced in the dialogue, and Jesus never missed an opportunity to segue into sharing a truth. And so once Abraham is in the discussion, Jesus is in his element, and he begins to teach them truth about himself and he teaches that truth really by using two words he said before Abraham was I am now we need to place ourselves in the position of the Jewish religious leaders Abraham was everything to them he was the progenitor the father of the Jews he was greatly esteemed by the Jews and for us to gain the mindset, it would be like God is here and right below God is Abraham. You don't speak against Abraham. To speak against Abraham was to speak against the core of who they are as Jews. Now, it's interesting throughout the New Testament, the biblical writers, the apostles, they understood the importance of Abraham. Do you remember John the Baptist when he was uh, carrying out his public ministry? In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 9, he sought to refute the self-righteous Jews of his day. And he said, don't you presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. You see, he understood that their belief as their righteousness had to do with their physical lineage and their connection to Abraham, and John the Baptist tried to correct that, and he did. What about the Apostle Paul? When he's writing in Romans, he was trying to establish the truth that man is justified by faith 
in Christ than not by works. And we read in Romans chapter 4 and verse 3 that Paul writes, Abraham believed God, people, he was writing to the Romans, and it was credited to him as righteousness. What did Paul do? He took them back to an authority figure they would consider, and he said this was the case with Abraham. He wasn't justified by his works, but by his belief. John, Paul, the Jewish leaders, Jesus, all knew how revered Abraham was. But here's the thing. Abraham lived 2,000 years before this event described in John chapter 8. Jesus is speaking 2,000 years after Abraham walked on the earth. So follow the logic of the religious leaders who were not thinking spiritually but trying to rationalize in their finite, limited mind. They were saying this. This man says that a righteous person will never die. Secondly, Abraham is dead. Third, Abraham was righteous. Fourth, how could he say that? They're thinking how ludicrous, but they didn't understand that Jesus was speaking in a realm above what they could understand. He did not, they did not understand that he himself would be raised from the dead. But then Jesus says something more profane. He says, I'm connected with God and you're not. I mean, could you imagine the religious leaders of that day? He said, I, I, I'm just speaking the truth, and the Father knows that, and if I said I didn't know and did not come from the Father, if, if I were to say I'm not connected with the Father, I would be a liar just as you are. And so he begins to speak not just about his relationship with God the Father, but he speaks about his relationship to Abraham, and so the conflict continues. Notice what they said. They said, verse 57, you aren't even 50 years old yet, and yet you have seen Abraham. He said, you're a 30-year-old man, and you're speaking authoritatively like you knew Abraham, like you walked the earth with him. You're missing by 1,970 years here. Something's not wrong. And then that led to the saying that's home base from where we'll be going each of these next seven weeks. Verse 58, Jesus said, truly or verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was... I am. Now, we look at it in our finite minds and we say, okay, he didn't get his grammar right. Before Abraham was, I was. But Jesus wasn't concerned about grammar there. He was concerned about sharing theological truth. Basically, what he's saying is I not only predated Abraham, I not only exceed Abraham, but I am God. That's what he's saying there. And, and so I was would not be good enough because I am, ego I me in the Greek translates the Hebrew word to which he is truly pointing them. 
Now, we need to understand and make no mistake, the Bible teaches the deity of Jesus Christ. Now, I, I studied math in school. One plus one equals two, not in the case of Jesus. Fully man, fully God equals one. You say, well, how can that be? Well, it can't be in regard to the laws of creation. But have you ever thought about this? The creator is not subject to the laws of creation. No more than the clay can tell the potter what he can do. The potter is greater than that which is made. And so Jesus, who has been revealed to us as God in the flesh, reveals to us in our finite understanding who he is. It may not make reason to us, but it is truth. Isaiah 45, 23 speaks of God the Father, and it says, Before him every mouth will swear, every knee will bow. What does it say in Philippians 2, 8 and 9? That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and tongue will confess. The same thing that is said of God the Father in Isaiah 45 is said of God the Son in Philippians chapter 2. Also, have you ever thought about this? And if you've read through the New Testament, what happened when the apostles, like Paul and Barnabas, when people began to worship them as some type of Greek gods or some type of deity, what did they say? No, we're just men such as you. We're, we're not. And they immediately began to refute any offer of worship. The angels themselves realized they themselves were not to receive worship. Jesus himself never rejected worship. Never rejected worship. Why? Because he's God. Hebrews chapter 1 is one of the beautiful uh, chapters in the Bible. In fact, in our Sunday school lesson today, in our class, uh, we springboarded over to that in Hebrews, I think the first two or three verses of Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1 speaks, and much of Hebrews speaks to the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1 affirms the deity of Jesus. And so here in John 8, 58, Jesus says, I'm God. He carefully chooses the words, I am. You say, why is that? Because it is the same title that he chooses to describe himself that was used when Moses went to God. Remember, God was going to send Moses to the people and deliver them out of bondage. And Moses wasn't so much concerned what to say to Pharaoh as he was, you know, here I am, I'm showing up on the scene. Who am I to tell that, they, that has sent me to them? What did God the Father say? I am has sent you. The word Yahweh, a name so sacred that the Jews would add consonants in the Hebrew language to to, to uh, express it verbally, a name that carries the idea that he not only is, but always has been, always will be, the eternal God, self-sufficient God, the sacred name of God. That's how Jesus describes himself. Real briefly this morning, I want to conclude or make really four conclusions from this statement of Jesus. And the first we've already noted, Jesus is God. The angels acknowledged it. The apostles experienced and acknowledged it. Jesus is fully God and fully man. The Bible establishes that truth. Jesus himself claimed it. He is God. Secondly, Jesus is eternal 
in nature. Abraham was temporal. Remember the argument again from the religious leaders? It was based on the fact that Abraham was no longer there. And so their common sense was saying, okay, uh, Abraham, you say anyone believes in your word or follows you will not die. Abraham's dead. Abraham physically was a temporal being. And so he died. But Jesus himself has no beginning and no end. In John 1, in verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God with no beginning and no end. Self-sustaining. Thirdly, Jesus is immutable. He doesn't change. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You ever had a friend who's just abandoned you? You ever been around somebody on Sunday and they act differently from the way they act on Monday? Have you ever been around someone and, and you know, if you're in a certain crowd, maybe not the cool crowd, they spend time hanging around you, but then you go to school or you go to work, they act like they don't know you. People are fickle. God is not. Jesus is unchanging. Our culture is changing, people. Our economy is changing. People are changing. Values are changing. But Jesus does not change. Do you want stability in your life? Hold on to Jesus. Hold on to the one who does not change. Some people here today may be listening online you're like objects on the ocean. You're just bouncing, living, existing day to day, just drifting in with the tide, back out. Your life is up and then down. You're longing for better days in the future. You're looking for better days that you had in the past. You need to live in the present. Not in what is not. Not in what wavers and changes. You need to live in the present, holding to the one who never changes, the great I am. The one who is, who was, and always will be. Jesus is immutable. He does not change. But then finally, I am tells us this. Jesus is everything. Everything. He's everything. He's all. I don't care what you have. I don't care what experience you've had. If you subtract Jesus from it, it's nothing. I don't care if you have absolutely nothing in material possession, relationally, uh, in human relationships. If you add Jesus to it, it's everything. Everything in the Bible points to I am, points to the great I am, Jesus. In Genesis, he's the one in chapter 3, verse 15, that will strike the head of the serpent. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb who shields the wrath of God in those days prior to the Exodus. In, in, in Rahab's situation, the scarlet thread that was held outside of the window that spared her life. In Isaiah, he is Emmanuel, God with us, the suffering servant, the one born of a virgin. In the book of Micah, he is that great ruler that comes from an insignificant place. O you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small, out of you will come 
a great leader. In the book of Zechariah, in one of the greatest chapters in the Bible, Zechariah 14, you need to look at it and study it. I've said it before. He is the one who, when the Mount of Olives part north and south, he is the one leading the great army that comes in triumphant in the end. He is the one in the book of Leviticus who fills all of the Old Testament sacrificial system. He is of the order of Melchizedek, the higher order of priesthood, not of the human order, but one beyond it. We can go on and on, but simply put, he's the I am. He's everything. He is all. The question, is he your all? Is he your all? You say, well, you don't understand. I've got this, I've got that going on. No, is he your all? You know, as we begin this series of messages, we're going to see some direct statements from Jesus. And the question is, will we believe him? Not here, but here and here. When he says, I am the good shepherd, will we believe he's my good shepherd that he will lead. When, when, when we look at he is the vine, are we going to just try to live our lives in our own strength and neglecting prayer? Or are we going to connect ourselves with the true vine that gives us life? You know, as we close today, this first message, I was thinking about how to close it, and it was just not anything profound but simple. There were two responses we see to Jesus here, the religious leaders and the scribes. Basically, they said, you don't fit my agenda. I don't want you. I don't want what you have to say. I'm not willing to take your claim on my life. And that's sad. But the second one was Abraham. Abraham didn't see physically Jesus the way, but he was able to experience and look ahead. And what did it say? That he rejoiced in my day. This one that they considered to be so great, he made room for the highest honor and place in his life for the Lord Jesus Christ. What about you today? Will you make room for him? Is he your all? Is he just somebody you add to your life as you come and go? Is he just somebody that you give just a verbal honor to, but really not from the heart? Is he sort of, as you look at your life, on the, on the very back of the pecking order, sort of on the back burner, simmering that you'll cling to when you really need him? Or is he your all? He calls himself, I am. Let's pray. Father. We thank you that you loved us enough to send Jesus to this earth to die for us. Almighty God taking on human flesh for a season, living a perfect life, dying a perfect death, and being raised from the dead. Lord, this man who was fully man, this God who was fully God, has told us in the word today that he is God, that he is unchangeable, that he's the standard, he's our all, everything by which truth is to be measured. 
Lord, he is all. The question we have, Lord, and I pray you would speak to our hearts today, is he all in our individual lives? Lord, there's some today who have never trusted Christ. They've been living like the religious leaders, seeking to gain favor by what they do, patting themselves on the back, but not acknowledging you. I pray today would be the day of salvation. Others, Lord, maybe there's been a season in their life when they've been walking more closely with you than they are today. And Father, they've allowed the great I am, the one who is all and in all and everything that we need to be put on the back burner. Lord, we know it disheartens you. I pray today that you would speak. Father, I pray for this church that we would be a church of the Lord Jesus Christ, exalting the Lord Jesus Christ, obeying what he has for us to do. Father, we love you and lift this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.